Good evening and welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 2, The Ship. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. We're a great, good time um, talking about this show that's 30 years old, and um, you're going to love it. I know you will if you just give it a chance, so come join us. Um, but yes, as David said, we are talking about uh, this episode here, which is the uh, the ship, and it's the, correct me if I'm wrong, as you said earlier, the 100th episode for According to Wiki... According to Wikipedia's count, I'm, I'm assuming they're correct. Uh, their their count is a little off in some areas, but anyway, yes. According to them, this is the 100th episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. So yeah, we've had our 100th episode a couple couple episodes back, but the show itself, this is a milestone of sorts. Absolutely, and um, you know it's interesting because at this point in the Star Trek, you know. Lore, I guess it was almost seen as standard that these shows were going to reach 100. You know, um, you know, Next Generation did it. Now, Deep Space Nine did it. Um, Voyager does it, and then you know, it just kind of became their thing. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't think there's a show in any of the newer versions that didn't hit um, 100 episodes. But actually, no. Now that I say that, we might have to double check on Enterprise. I think Enterprise gets really close, but they don't hit 100. So I have to go back and check on that because Enterprise did some weird things with their um, filming and things like that. So they might have, they might have actually hit it. But yeah, so far every other show has done it. Right. Um So yeah, it's an interesting thing to have on a show a 100th episode. You know, it's it's not exactly um, common, or it wasn't common then. And now, with the way that we do shows and how they film seasons and the short seasons and everything else, it's probably never going to happen again. So what an interesting time in uh, television that it was seen as common for shows to hit 100. And now we'll probably, again, never see that. Like we talked about before, like Discovery, for example, it would take Discovery filming for, you know, close to 10 seasons before they would get to a... 100th episode the way that they do episodes now right but before we dive into the show of course we'd like to do a little bit of catch-up here so david how has your week been it's been good i finished the first book of the silo series wool this week uh the show on apple pod or apple tv is better than the book not that the book is bad as i said last week but finish this looking forward to season two because season two will probably be what happens in part of this book uh, and then uh, yesterday, I started reading this. Uh, it's a, a book that came out about you know the aftermath of the Hiroshima bombing, nuclear the nuclear bombing, because um, uh, you know world events really makes you start thinking about you know things, if you will, to keep it mild. Um, you know the cost of war and all that. And uh, I'd already thought about, I already bought that book, was already planning on reading it, but um, you know I read the book about you know nine eleven. Uh, a couple well, last month, uh, you know, back in September, and uh, this is a similar kind of tale. You know, people telling their stories about uh, the trauma that they experienced as a part of the nuclear attack. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm reading. It's a shorter book, 
So next week, I'll be reading Red Rising, which is a very popular book, apparently. I don't know if you've heard of it, Perry. It's a sci-fi story. Uh, the gist is that there is a, a group of people on Mars. I don't know how big the civilization is, but the Reds are a strata of the society that do all the manual labor, and they think that they are making Mars into a paradise but it turns out that Mars is already a paradise, and they're they're just being exploited for their labor by the rich on Mars. So that's all I know about the story. My roommate has read it and really likes it. He's actually rereading it because of a new book in the series just came out, and he was like, "Hey, I'm rereading it. Do you want to read it?" I was like, "Well, I'm reading The Expanse with Perry. I can read the Red Rising series with you." So we're doing that. I'll be keeping you guys in the loop with that one. Uh, as that uh, by next week, I'll have some. Feedback to give. So, okay, yeah. How about you? What's new with you? Well, besides today being a just dumpster fire of a day, um, <laughs> uh, everything throughout the week have been okay. I've got some upcoming things that are going to happen. That's on a uh, other personal level. Looks like that's finally moving forward. Uh, might get into that one day here or not. Whatever. Um, but work is going fine. I have been thinking about maybe making some um, changes, moving into some other areas, you know, so uh, we'll see about decisions on that. But otherwise, things are going pretty well. Enjoying still doing Good. the workouts and stuff. Have started posting things um, for that as well. So um, stay tuned. You can find the links for things like that on um, Facebook first if you want to, you know, follow along or just see what kind of workouts I do or anything like that, just go to our um, Facebook page. And again, it's just the fire caves and star Trek deep space nine podcast. And you will find all those things there. Um, other than that, I've been like casting around and looking for other shows to watch. Cause you know, sometimes as much as I love star Trek, I feel like I could watch it all the time and kind of do you want something different. And um, I found this show called, scavengers reign on uh, max and it's an animated show there's only like three episodes right now and it's got to be the most bizarre sci-fi show i've ever seen it follows the crew of a crashed uh freighter ship called the demeter and they have landed on this planet that is full of all these bizarre plants and creatures and they're basically having to figure out a way to survive until they can be rescued and, right. um, man, and it's got this, the thing I like about it uh, a lot, which also kind of disturbs me is the music because it's this kind of melodic yet atonal music that has an odd beat to it. So the way that it plays into the episode, it makes you kind of uneasy with everything that's going on. And you're just kind of tense watching the development of the characters and, um, and there was one alien that they come across that really creeps me out because it gets inside your mind and it uses the images of people that you think of to make you do things. So this guy, he kind of has these moments of senility where he wakes up and he realizes that he's not where he's supposed to be and not doing what he's supposed to and whatever else. And right before he can actually, you know, kind of move away and escape, the thing comes back and kind of makes him submit all over again and so it's oh, really trippy okay and then there's you a really, it was, what was it called again scavengers scavengers rain is that rain as in rain or as, as in, in like my, power rain? yeah power as in okay. yeah and it's interesting that so i was i was thinking about that when i was watching the episode trying to figure out what it means 
And in watching the episode, the best that I can determine is that everything in the... All the aliens that you see, the alien creatures, plants, all of it, they all seem to have this uh, instinctual like need to consume. So if anything is anywhere for long enough, eventually something shows up and tries to eat it, break through it, destroy it, whatever. So you've got right. these humans that are trying to survive in this while the while the whole environment, even the plants that they're walking on in real are trying to adapt them to them. You know, so it's like who's oh. going to who's going to survive here? Is it going to be the the, the creatures? Or there was even one where it was like uh, there was a whole room of fungus and uh, the fungus was trying to, um, yeah, trying to consume two of the people and it was making them hallucinate that they were already consumed. So it was like, you already consumed, don't put up a fight, but mm. by you not putting up a fight, it's actually consuming you. So it was just, it, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. That's creepy uh, and trippy all, all over the place. Exactly. Yeah. That was like, so I'm like, I'm watching it. And I'm like, man, it's it's really pretty. And I like the way that it's filmed. And I like the, I, I like the action stuff that you see. But then like they do these bits and you're like, I'm not sure if this is something that you could watch like with kids or not. Because Probably at not. some point you feel like, oh, this is fine. And then in the next, like they're just hacking away at something. You're like, oh, never mind. You know, so, <laughs> so they're taking yeah. the idea of an alien planet pretty seriously, huh? Yeah, very. It's very alien, and I, I like that a lot. I like that nothing is what you think it is. Even like there's a there's a robot that's supposed to be like a helper robot, and it gets infected with this fungus, and the fungus seems to act a lot like neural tissue. So as it intermingles with the robotics own system, the robot is seemingly becoming self aware. And on the one hand, the robot seems very just like it's developing this very pleasant, uh, very positive, forward-thinking um, personality. personality. But then, in an instant, it will do something and just like obliterate something, and you're like, "Yeah, lash out." Mm, <laughs> what's that about? Yeah, so yeah, it's and I'm like, I, I want to see more about this robot. What you what you gonna do? You know. So if you're interested, check it out. It's on Max again. It's called uh, Scavengers Reign. So uh, yeah. Okay. And then um, there was a another robot show that I watched on um, Max, and this one um, has um, what's his name? Michael B. Something. Michael B. Jordan. That's his name. He's the yeah. voice on uh, this particular uh, show. And I'm trying to find the name of it right now while I'm talking to you, but um, it's interesting that they're it's kind of like a take on Voltron to a certain degree. And he was like a hotshot pilot, and there's these other aliens that have come to Earth and are we're kind of battling it out with them. And his he's a yeah he's a pilot. His plane gets shot down, and then his body is harvested, and they turn him into a walking mech. So he can control these other robots and stuff and kind of put up a fighting force for humanity. Right. Um, but there's like multiple copies of him running around. So then he's got to like fight the bad versions of himself and stuff. So there's a whole season of that. Actually, there's two seasons of it. And you've got to work your way through it. He's got like a little team and stuff that are helping out. That one was pretty interesting as well. So, um, yeah, I wish I could remember the name of it right off the top of my head, but I can't. 
Um, but yeah, check it out. It shouldn't be hard to find. Michael B. Jordan's the main voice. So if you search him for an animated show, I'm sure it's going to pop up. Interesting animation. Um, it's like a heavy CGI with a little bit of like a weird cartoon draw overlay. So I don't think I've ever seen anything like that um, uh, recently. So that's been pretty interesting as well. So yeah, um, check those things out if you're interested or not. And then of course, I am also working my way through the Expanse um as well so that we can talk about that i figure we'll yeah. do you know we'll work our way through the first half stop do a talk then we'll next half stop finish it up um okay. but we're not here to talk about all of those things that are not trek related we are here to talk about star trek we're here to talk about the ship mm-hmm. and a very interesting um 100 episode if i may say so myself because you know, as we said with episode one of this season, you know, this is when Deep Space Nine really kind of kicks it up on their Dominion storyline, giving us a lot of development there. Because we've kind of wrapped up all the interpersonal stuff with characters to a certain degree. We kind of know who everybody is, probably with the exception of Dax, who remains criminally undeveloped for some reason. But we get a lot of her here. We get a lot of her in this. have something to do here. Yes, That's right. So, with that being said, would you like to give the recap for this episode, or do you want me to do it? I'll do it, seeing as how you got last week. Alright guys, so I'm going to quickly knock out the uh, the B-plot, because it's very simple. Odo has to arrest Quark and Bashir, because Bashir asked Quark to get him some spiders that turned out were requiring paperwork. But Quark, being the devious guy that he is, also used that opportunity to get himself some crystals... Apparently aphrodisiac crystals of some kind. Those were super illegal, and so Odo has to arrest both of them. And Kira's like, I ain't got time for this nonsense. The captain and the rest of the crew need the Defiant, and so I'm going to go save them from our A-plot. So, the A-plot is that Cisco, Dax, uh, Worf, and um, O'Brien, and a group of other cadets have gone to a planet... Uh, in the Gamma Quadrant to uh, explore for mining. It has a certain type of mineral that they think would be really worth it. Uh, But while they're there, a Dominion warship crashes on the planet. And they they go to investigate it, and they find the crew dead inside. But meanwhile, uh, the runabout that was above the planet uh, sees a Dominion warship uh, warp into the area. It attacks the runabout and destroys it. So the, uh, the runabout crew is killed. That means that our uh, our crew, with uh, Cisco and the others, uh, suddenly are being attacked by uh, Jim Hadar, and they're in a bad uh, situation. So they actually manage to get into this Dominion warship that's crash landed uh, to, and then use that to, to protect themselves. They're in there, and they have to turn things on. They don't recognize the technology. It's very different than their own technology, and they realize that they have a you know, technological marvel on their hands. If they can get, if they can keep this ship and get it back to the Federation, they can uh, try and reverse engineer this technology. Uh, but unfortunately, O'Brien has to try and reverse the technology so uh, so that they can try and escape. Uh, they have to. Uh, a, the Dominion beam down and try and talk to Cisco, and they have a Vorta supervisor. The Vorta, as we might remember, are the race of beings that are like the handlers of the Jim Hadar. Um, and the woman who comes down tries sweet talking 
Cisco, but he's not having any of it. Uh, he knows that she is being devious and that there's something about the ship that she wants. So even though she offers to uh, take Cisco and the others safely back to the station in return for allowing her to have the ship back, he tells her that they're, they're going to fight to the death before they're going to, you know, just go along with the, the Jim Hadar. Uh, so uh, the Jim Hadar had used this opportunity to sneak one of their men on board, and he nearly uh, takes out some of our crew. Meanwhile, uh, one of the uh, members of our crew is uh, is, is a guy named Muniz. Muniz, sorry, Muniz. Muniz, yes. Muniz, I'm sorry, and he is uh, very friendly with O'Brien. He's a yellow shirt. They had been talking earlier. But he had been wounded pretty severely during the initial assault. Um, he is able to save Dax and Worf. I'm sorry, Dax and O'Brien from an attack of a Jim Hadar. Uh, but Worf thinks that they should just kill him. They should kill Muniz, Muniz because he is already gravely wounded. And O'Brien is incensed by that. It might take two and a half days for the Defiant to come save them. But they're going to do everything they can to save him. Uh, unfortunately, he is... Uh, not doing well, and over the course of the next 48 hours, he continues to decline. Munez is uh, nearer and nearer to death throughout their experience. Uh, Cisco has, once again goes out and talks with uh, the board's supervisor, Kilana, and uh, they tr she tries uh, convincing them once again that they have something on the ship that they want. And again, if they will just give them the thing that they want, or if they will be allowed to get the thing they want, they will let Cisco have the ship and let them go away. Uh, but Cisco doesn't trust her. And so uh, the Jim Hadar start bombing the planet around the ship. But they are obviously not actually hitting the ship, it's just for show. And so they keep working to try and get the ship working, try and get the weapons working. Uh, and in the process, Munez does die. He unfortunately does pass. And before he passes, he's kind of hallucinating, uh, remembering like a, a 4th of July fireworks uh, um, uh, explosions. And it's a very sad moment, uh, especially for Cisco, who had promised him that they would save his life. Uh, however, they realize the longer they're waiting and waiting and waiting, eventually one of the items aboard the ship starts melting, and it turns out it's a changeling. A changeling drips down from the ceiling and dies, and that turns out to be the item, not, well, we thought it was an item, but the thing that the Vorta and the Jim Hadar were looking for. Unfortunately, the uh, changeling dies, and uh, so... The Jim Hadar, all off-screen, killed themselves because they weren't able to save one of their gods, the Changelings. And so Kilana is left alone and vulnerable, but she comes aboard the ship and asks uh, for the ability to take away some remains of the Changeling. Uh, and then talking with Sisko, Sisko realizes that if he had just trusted Kilana, or if she had trusted him... And they had just realized that all Kilana wanted was the changeling, and they would have allowed uh, them to take the ship. They would have been able to uh, escape, and people like Munez might have lived. And so at the end of the episode, Cisco is talking with Dax about regretting uh, 
the fact that people had to die in order to get this technology. Even though five people died and they might save 5,000 or 5 million, it doesn't make it any easier for him to, uh, you know, have an emotional a connection with the people who died. He he remembers their lives. He remembers the, the details about them as individuals that he had come to know. For example, he had um, performed the performed a, a marriage uh, for one of those who had died. So that's the end of the episode. Did I miss anything, Perry? Uh, no, you hit the salient details there. And um, you know, if anybody has any, you know, wants to know all the ins and outs you can go and watch the episode on paramount plus it's there right now in fact i highly suggest that you do go and watch it and then come back and listen to us and offer your take on what we say do you agree do you disagree so forth and so on and again these episodes they're 30 years old at this point so we don't really care if you think this is a spoiler or not and um yeah just go and enjoy it and then come back let us know we would love to hear from you so yeah uh, but no, you hit the high points, and we're getting ready to get into it anyway, so here we are. <clears throat> yeah. Now, of course, like we do every single time, since this is your first go-through on this show, um, what did you think of this episode, the second in the fifth season and the auspicious <laughs> 100th? Yeah. Well, it's definitely a very serious episode. Um, the last couple of minutes of the of the episode are not a quick little oh i'm so sorry these people died it's a serious conversation between cisco and dax he is definitely he's not like torn up in the sense that he's like emotionally distraught or or unable to do his duty but he's he's having to write up a, a mission report at the end of this episode and he's having a hard time starting it like how do you how do you just you know quickly summarize the events of of uh, some people dying without, you know, really recognizing who they were, basically. Uh, is His question is, is it worth it? You know, these people having died uh, for the you know, being casualties for a, a greater purpose. And, you know, Dax says things like, you know, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they had signed up for. Um, but, you know, Cisco points out that, yeah, like that doesn't minimize their lives and he does detail things about these people that had died um, for example Munez's birthday was the same as Jake's and one of them knew how to play the trumpet really well and like I said he did the ceremony he, he did he performed a wedding for one of them um, so you know the the very it's very easy to talk about how to perform your duty but then doing it uh, especially in these moments is, are very hard and then there's also the other point of if uh, Cisco had trusted uh, Jelana, you know, the um, Jem'Hadar handler, about what they wanted, what each, each side wanted or was willing to do, then they wouldn't have had death. Uh, the changeling died because Jelana couldn't convince Cisco uh, to give her the changeling. Uh, she wouldn't admit that's what she wanted. Uh, they thought he would use the changeling as a hostage. Um, but Cisco's not that type. He says, I would not have done that. I just wanted the ship. And she said, we would have let you have the ship if you'd given us the changeling. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a serious episode. And, um, it's not as fun as last episode. Like last episode had fun, had action. This one was very serious. People die, um, and die in kind of painful, sad ways. I mean, Munez, his death is a slow one. You know, he's bleeding yeah. out. He's shaking. He's having hallucinations um 
Cisco yells at O'Brien and and Worf because they get into it when Worf is like, we should um, tell, we're not, we shouldn't just tell him he's going to live when he's not. In fact, we should you know kill him, give him an honorable death as opposed to this pathetic you know just slowly dying. Uh, Dax gets a snarky comment in during that scene, which I thought was a lot of character for a moment, but we can talk about that more. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, a it's not one of those episodes where I imagine like on a, on a, let's rewatch Deep Space Nine. Like this is not one of those episodes where you're like, oh, this is a fun show to watch and have a good time with. It's, it's a downer. <laughs> not that it's a bad episode, but it's, it's kind of heavy. It's, it's a heavy one, so. So I would like to take a moment and do something that we haven't done in a little bit, which is the um, comparison of Jean-Luc and Cisco here. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, this is a very um, kind of a harder-hitting episode than we have seen with them so far. And we see Cisco having to sit with um, several losses here, not just Enrique's passing right in his face, but the officers who were killed on the shuttlecraft, you know, when he's trying to reconcile the the meaning of their deaths, making sure they didn't die in vain, you know. And he's, like you said, he's calling out details about them, personal things, not, oh, they were always on time for their shifts and always did their duty or whatever. But, you know, this person um, played the trombone, I think he says, or the or saxophone or whatever it was he said they played. I officiated this one's wedding and these, and this, you know, Enrique had the same birthday as my son. And he's got these very personal details about these people and not right. even like, they're not even the kind of details necessarily that you could observe from afar. These are details right. that only come from having interactions with these people. You know, he could look up Enrique's birthday. Sure. But knowing the personal connection with him and Jake, it's most likely he knows that's his birthday because there was a celebration involved and those two were together. Jake and Enrique were together at some right. point. Right. He knows about the instrument playing because he probably heard them playing in Quarks or something. Didn't that the story yeah. that he says that he was in Quarks and he heard it, you know? And then again, he's officiating the other's wedding. We get no such stories from Jean-Luc. Um, during his prime heyday on, you know, next gen running that ship, how many weddings did we see him officiate? Zero. Oh, really? I think he did at least oh, no. one. But that's right. He did. He did Miles and Keiko. Keiko. And... I was gonna say he did something like something like that at least. But okay. yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. So yeah, he officiated their wedding. You know, but again, he this it doesn't seem like to me anyway that he would be the type to remember these things about them at least during the time that he was also their captain. As an older man who is retired and kind of reflecting back, not just on his career, but on his life overall, sure, he might bring those things up. But in the moment, like Cisco was in a high pressure, tense situation, and he is, you know, coming through with these things here and remembering these connections. I don't feel like Jean-Luc would do those things. Does this mean that I feel like Cisco was a better leader or commander or whatever than than Jean-Luc? No, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I am saying that I think that Cisco works harder at having more personal connections with the people that he works with than Picard ever did. I think Picard enjoyed his emotional distance. Beyond a certain select few in the, you know, the upper echelons of the command staff, 
I think he enjoyed having a professional distance from the crew at large. Yeah, what we know of Picard, you know, he's a guy who gave up a, a, a career in archaeology. You know, his passion is archaeology, but his duty is is captain. Uh, he's a guy who's already had a ship that you know had a big you know battle with a you know a, a, um, a Ferengi ship. You know, he had that whole like he has the Picard maneuver or whatever they call it. Um, so like he's a guy who has been in battle before. He's used to it. He's got the flagship Enterprise. He's that not he doesn't got time for people you know living their lives. He's running a ship. Um, there's that episode where he confronts the Romulans, and then it turns out he had two uh, Klingon warbirds cloaked next to him, and so he's talking with the Romulan commander. I can't remember the characters. Tomalak. Uh, and he, um, they're, they're like staring each other down and Tomalak's all like, you want to go? And Picard's like, if I have to, I will. Like, I ain't got a problem. He's chill. It's all get out. Meanwhile, Cisco is sweating. Cisco's a man who cares. He doesn't want his people to die. I will fight to the death. I don't trust you. He doesn't hold his cards back. He plays them. Um, even though he's up against a wall in this case, literally, um, and so, yeah, Cisco is – he's not Picard. <laughs> not at all. And I'm glad that, you know, Star Trek didn't try and recreate, you know, Picard again and again with different captains. You know, I feel like that is one of the areas of, of, of Star Trek that is their strength that people refuse to acknowledge. Because so often we do what we're doing where we try to compare the captains. And it's like, well – Kirk would never do that, or Picard would never do, you know, so forth and so on. It's like, yeah, but they're not those characters. If everybody was the exact same, it would be freaking boring, you know? Right. And But then there are times when you, you see aspects of the other captains in them, and I think that the closest, or probably the best example of that would really be uh, Captain Janeway and Picard. I feel like there are a lot of aspects about her character that they were trying to, in a lot of ways, make like Jean-Luc. And it wasn't until, you know, later on in Voyager's run that they tried to distance themselves somewhat from it, you know. And um, I'm not saying that the damage was done or it was too late or anything like that, but there were just certain traits about him that were very obvious in her that are just right. too strong for you to ignore. So I think that, and, and even the, the setup of, Voyager is supposed to be a lot like the next generation, just in a different area of space. So um, I think that there was, there was an intent there with those similarities, but I mean, certainly, you know, Catherine Janeway proves to be her own person. She has her own kind of view on things uh, as well, but she's still a very strong, morally convicted character, very much in the same vein as um, Jean-Luc, in my opinion. I know there's going to be some people who probably disagree, who don't see any kind of, correlation between the two but when we could debate that at another time we're not going to have to go on that now and besides david hasn't watched voyager yet so that debate would be wholly lost on him and that would mean that i would win and while i enjoy winning i want there to be some effort behind my i was gonna say you want an easy win there (laughs) yeah not going for the low-hanging fruit tonight you know yeah but I do the vine at this point. <laughs> right. But I do love how we watch Cisco's development here because I mean we got to see him for a couple of seasons as commander. We're now seeing him as for one full season as captain and um we are now moving into him kind of really asserting himself in the role and we definitely see a lot of that here, you know, when 
when Worf and O'Brien, their little spat about Enrique living, not living, when it reaches its fever pitch, and uh, O'Brien takes a swing at Odo, or not Odo, but at Worf, and Worf catches his fist and spins him around and gets him in a chokehold, you know. Cisco comes, you know, right up and just, you know, shouts them both down. And it's also right. when he, you know, checks Dax, which we had not seen him do really ever. You know, Dax was always this one who kind of seemed like she was in this protective bubble with Cisco because of their their friendship, their, you know, two lifetime spanning friendship, you know. Right. But in this instance, when he, you know, when he does check her, it's a clear reminder that she's just a lieutenant to him being a captain. So regardless of their long history together, he is still her commanding officer and they are in a tense situation and they all needed to be reminded that they had a job to do. And I think Cisco does a very excellent job of cutting through everybody's BS that was going on in those moments and getting everybody focused and back on task. I really enjoy that. I really do enjoy that scene in particular, you know, so he's not only chastising, but he's also, you know, he's, um, team building a little bit, you know. He cuts out all the, you know, but seriously, because he's like, your Starfleet officers act like you have a job to do, you have tasks to perform, get back on task. Right. So, and and it was yeah. particularly effective with O'Brien because we could see O'Brien being affected by um, Enrique's deteriorating state, and it was distracting right. him from the job he needed to be doing. So, right. Cisco being able to cut through that and get them moving again was nice. Yeah. Yeah, he um, we haven't met this character before. Like you said Enrique. Um, is it Enrique? It was like Enrique. Enrique Mun- Oh, it is, you're Muniz. right. Yeah. He was calling him KK or Coco or something. Kike, a a colloquial Kike. nickname for Enrique. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so when Enrique uh, when they start off, he's um, the episode opens with them walking along this well down from like a mountain because they're there to explore it for mining purposes. And O'Brien basically needs to take a break. And so he pretends to like, oh, hey, what about this rock here? And Enrique is like, uh, yeah, that's not anything different than anything else we've seen. And so O'Brien's like, yeah, but it's more worn. It's like got water running over it. And he's like, you just needed this place to sit down, didn't you, sir? He's like, ah, stop calling me, sir. I'm not an officer. And yeah, they, he's got camaraderie. And that's one of the things that I feel like uh, shows uh, Star Trek here has sometimes it has a hard time doing of giving us those, you know, just the, 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 the grunts, you know, do we know the grunts at all? No, they come and they go. They're just off screen. Uh, you see people wearing Starfleet outfits, but the only people we actually hear anything, any dialogue from are, are the main cast. Uh, and then to have that character die in the same episode he's introduced. Well, he that's yeah. actually not true. We have seen him really? before. We have seen him really? before. Really? Okay. So let's go all the way back to season four, episode six, Starship Down. This is where the okay. Defiant has traveled into the Gamma Quadrant to rendezvous for a meet with the Karma to um, establish trade. And they're using um, Quark as their Ferengi intermediary. And they're in the bad, or they're in the the equivalent of a gaseous anomaly for this, uh, or no, they're in space for the meeting. And then the Dominion shows up. They chase the Karma ship into a gas giant, and right. the Defiant goes into the gas giant to attempt to save the Karma. And there's you know some shots are exchanged. Cisco gets injured, um, and then the ship is basically not 
literally, but it's cut in half. And so, like, anybody who was below a certain deck is basically trapped in engineering. Anybody above a certain deck is trapped in the bridge. And then you had Bashir and Dax were trapped in, like, a side pocket corridor room for a while. Right. And this is where we first met Enrique because he was in engineering with O'Brien and Worf. Worf. And Worf, and Worf was Worf being a bit rough. Too aggressive. Right. Right. Yes. I remember and, now. Yes. Yes. And O'Brien had to teach him how to ease up a bit. And Enrique is one of the people that he works with to kind of get things okay. rolling back along again. So that's the first time we I met him. That. Yes. Okay. And then I believe he shows up, but he doesn't have any like speaking parts. So he's just like kind of around as part of the engineering crew. So you kind of see him in the background a few places here and there. But then this is the next time we see him and he's got a full on, very involved role. And yes, right. then he dies. Yeah. Bada bing, bada bam, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was glad in a, you know, I admittedly uh, moribund way when uh, they found the ship crash landed. There was a group of them, and and Cisco is like, "All right, let's go figure out what the ship is." And they like they say to Jim Hadar ship, and I was like, "Cisco, you you can't go toward Jim Hadar ship, bro." You gotta know this is dangerous, like super duper 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 dangerous. And then when it turns out that it's actually the other Jem'Hadar ship that beams down Jem'Hadar's soldiers, I'm glad that people die <laughs> because it's always frustrating that, like you know, it's the Star Trooper can't hit anything syndrome. Oh yeah. Um, I'm glad Enrique got hit in the sense that it actually meant the story had stakes. But he's the only one who got hit. I I could critique that well, scene. Well, no, but. It's... I... There are other people in their group that die. I mean, there were three people aboard the ship. Well, yes, yeah, so when they when they the first when they first beam down, the random ensign in the blue uniform who's standing on yes. top of the ship, he gets shot and he goes down. But then right. everybody else they fire upon on the ground survives, except for Enrique who gets the glancing shot. The other officers and whoever who died, they died in the shuttlecraft in orbit before okay. they beam down. Well, the okay. next one I'm thinking of is where did the rest of them go? Because I feel like their group was like eight people, but with Enrique making five of those inside the ship, then it seems like at least three of them had to have died outside the ship. But maybe I'm wrong? I don't remember there being that many of them. I'd have to go back and see, but it just I remember Dax, O'Brien, um, Worf, Cisco, Random Blue, Ensign, Enrique. Yes. So seven, and then... Two get shot, Enrique being one of them. The other one dies. So then we have the five inside, and six inside. And then Enrique dies. Yeah. So that's six. So maybe I'm missing. Maybe I. Maybe I am missing someone. Um, If if the storyline is that two of them are busy working on the ship and we never get to see them talk with Cisco and the others again, okay, fine. It's just that they never get addressed again. But anyway, my point is, is that. In terms of stakes, I want there to be realistic stakes. This episode gave us realistic stakes. Uh, we had mm-hmm. people killed. We had people shot. Um, like, the, the runabout gets blown up. Like, they see the Jim Hadar ship. And they're like, Cisco, there's a Jim Hadar ship. And he's like, get out of there. And they're like, we can't. Blue. You know, they're, they're dead. You know, I, I want stakes. I want the characters to be at risk. Um, and that's another example of why Cisco had no reason to trust the Jim Hadar. They just blew up his runabout. They're, they're backed into a corner. Um, he had no reason to trust that they weren't going to just kidnap them and take them back and all that jazz. Even though in just the last episode they were just interacting with um, 
I'm sorry, two episodes ago, they were interacting with the changelings with the whole Odo situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it was one of those episodes where I'm glad there was stakes. It was an episode that took those stakes very seriously and addressed them very seriously. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I guess what I'm getting, I guess the thing I, I would say is I feel like a lot of what was happening kind of was drawn out in the sense that they were just they were having to fix the ship and they're having to wait for you know rescue and so not a lot of action happens in the meantime. I mean there are some things that happen. Don't be wrong that one Jim Hadar guy gets aboard the ship and they have to take him out, um, but a lot of time is spent trying to fix the ship, watching Enrique he's dying, uh, talking about if he's going to make it or not. So I feel like the episode is a little slow. It was a little yeah, I could see uneventful. That. But I mean, to be fair to the storytelling, that's the point. They're having to wait. They're having to fix the ship on their own and try and uh, survive in a in, in a very unpleasant situation. Um, so yeah, I, again, this is an episode where I don't imagine people are going to be like, "Let's go watch that episode again." Um, yeah, but no. So for the if you're looking if you're looking for just something that you can just kind of turn on and watch and you don't have to really kind of you know pay attention to anything probably not this is not the episode to go to but if you are in a mood to binge watch and you want to make sure you're getting all the parts of the story you can't skip this episode because there's just so much in the way of development not just of you know uh, seeing cisco truly in command and you know also a a bit of wharf because wharf comes off as extremely harsh um, yeah. in this episode, you know, he's very, you know, and this, this seems to be a recurring theme with him since joining Deep Space Nine, we're seeing a much more aggressive Worf. Um, very true. You know, yeah. like everything that we've seen with him since he, yeah, again, since season four's opener, he has been very aggressive and he's been stepping it up all along the way. Every, you know, every time he's involved in anything, it's always very, you know, combative, hardcore, you know, stuff. Um, but yeah, you're also getting the development of the Dominion. We're seeing, you know, we just a few episodes ago, Cisco saying, you know, things are a long ways away. Doesn't seem to be that important. We're not focused on that right now. To now, they're wondering why there's a Jem'Hadar ship in the area at all. This doesn't seem to be an, uh, a place that the Jem'Hadar should be, you know. And yet here they are. Right. There's two ships because one crashed, and here comes Galani's ship right behind them not right. too much longer after it crashed so right. the the dominion is getting closer you know we are in the gamma quadrant we are on the other side of the wormhole and for a long time you know with the show and going into the gamma quadrant and so forth it seemed like you once you made it through the wormhole there was still a large amount of travel you needed to do before you ran into another civilized race of any kind and now the dominion seems to just be popping up around almost every corner. So they're clearly moving closer. The ominous threat that is the Dominion is getting closer. So we're seeing these <laughs> these conflicts here are reaching, you know, a fever pitch. And so, right. yeah, you just got to pick up on those beats and you would miss that if you didn't see episodes like this one. Right. Actually makes me clearly just think, as you mentioned, the gym, or the, the Dominion's getting closer and closer. If we're in the Gamma Quadrant in this episode... I do feel like the Dominion, or at least those on the Gamma Quadrant side, would have a right to say, hey, stay on your own side of the wormhole for, like, mining purposes. Like, this is our side. I mean, I imagine they found an uninhabited planet with no claim to it. I'm not denying that. It just, it's just like, if I was the Dominion or the Jim Hadar, I'd be like, hey, 
the wormhole is is a is a is a barrier. It's a it's a boundary of a certain sort. Like if you want to come mine here, you need to like pay a tax, kind of toll or something. Um, but yeah, I, I don't mean know. That, that's that's <laughs> certainly a way to look at it. I mean, I like to try to make it um, like for our solar system, for example. In order to leave our solar system, there is a barrier to our solar system, and uh, recently the Voyager space probe went through it. Um, finally, after all really? these years, yeah, it was it was a kind of a big deal. The first thing to reach what's officially called interstellar space, you know. Oh, uh, um, right. Okay. So, so let's just say that. Before it crossed this barrier, it got out there to a certain point, and then there was a alien race or a ship or something that said, "Hey, you can't go any further than this. This barrier is here for a reason." I mean, right. we'd, we'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Like, no, there's get out of our way. Like, we we have every right to explore and be out and whatever else because we don't we don't know any better, you know, whatever. Right. So it's just like, how are you going to claim all the rest of space? You, right. You're going to restrict us to only what's in our solar system. And granted, our solar system is understandably vast. It's yeah. it's quite vast, but still, you know, to be like, okay, so now we're cut off from all the rest of what could be out there beyond interstellar <laughs> space just because some random race on the other side of it said, yeah, no, we've been watching you and we don't like you, so we're going to keep you right here. We put this barrier up for a reason. That would just seem ridiculous to us, and I think that you know it's kind of how we look at the the wormhole. Right. That actually reminds me, as you mentioned, like traditions of like who gets what. The wreckage is claimed by Cisco as a as a uh, legitimate salvage as a way to defend. No, we're not having the ship up, it's, even though it's a Jem'Hadar ship, and they the Jem'Hadar have come to reclaim it. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think Cisco? Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was hilarious. I I love yeah. the little the plucky way he de- uh, delivered the line too. Uh, yeah. No, nah, this is legitimate salvage. I claim it <laughs> under salvage rights. And I was like, Cisco, come on! Like the the sheer the sheer cheekiness to use the yeah. term, the which yeah. you were just he just delightfully said uh, an old tradition salvage right. rights. It's like yes. yeah, you know good and damn well she doesn't know anything about salvage rights. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> he immediately says, like, uh, we don't recognize right. those. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> and again, and, and and it wouldn't work for anything that we did either. It's, it's the same thing as, you know, you built a car with your own two hands, right? And you yeah. drove it, and then it broke down somewhere, and you had to walk three miles to the gas station uh, to get gas or to get a service truck or whatever. And when you came out, somebody else was sitting in your truck. Not going anywhere, just sitting <laughs> in it. And he said, "Oh, I found it. Savage rights. It's mine yeah. now." You'd be like, right. "Get the hell out of my truck!" Like, you're not. <laughs> no way. You know, that's that would yeah. be our immediate reaction. Exactly. So, yeah, salvage rights. That's one of those uh, definitely old maritime tradition because the if if it was truly abandoned, right, the possibility of the person who originally owned it ever finding it again was extremely remote back then. Right. So yeah, at that point, salvage makes sense because then if it, if they, if someone else found it, repaired it, and then used it, the chances of you running into the original owner would be again very much. It'd be years before that ship might turn back up in port somewhere, and yeah, salvage rights makes total sense on something like that, but not in this day and age. Not with the way that we can we mark stuff and the instantaneous nature of technology and everything else. And it's going to only be worse in the 24th century. That is not going to be 
you know, uh, easier to fudge. And I mean, heck, even right. when the ship crashed into the mountainside upside down, Worf was able to identify it as a Jem'Hadar warship. So, um, sorry, Cisco, salvage rights not going to fly. Yeah, All right. yeah, it definitely felt like pretty thin reasoning when he first yeah. brought it up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I imagine that was part of what in- contributed to the distrust between him and Kilana or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, gosh, as soon as I heard it was a gem at our ship, I was like, Cisco, you and the boys need to go find defensive position right now. Because if there are any, I mean, we didn't know there were any dead ones yet, but like, the Jim'Hadar are a fighting people. You know that they aren't going to just give up the ship. <laughs> so the fact that they were all walking up to it, and we're like, oh, we've got to find a way into this. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? I really thought they were crazy. I, I thought them trying to get into this Jim'Hadar ship was, was boneheaded. The fact that they were all dead inside was a blessing in terms of all of them living. But okay. <laughs> and, you know, to kind of think of it, I think that that is the, a bit of a plot what his plot hole here with the fact that we know that the Jem'Hadar can beam through just about anything. We haven't found anything that can stop their beaming technology. And, uh, you know, they do kind of use it to their advantage when they slip the one Jem'Hadar on board and attacks them. You know, why didn't they send more? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. And they try to play it off as, oh, well, they were wanting to make sure they didn't hurt the founder. Well, the founder was in hiding. Right. And they knew that I mean, they have the scanners and the ability to tell who's human and or Klingon or whatever. Basically, who's not a not a changeling. So right. sending in a strike team to obliterate the five, six people left inside and free their ship would have been nothing to them. It didn't yeah. make sense to me that they didn't didn't do that. If you're able you're right. to show up, scan the station, scan who's there, and with pinpoint accuracy call out the commanding officer by name. Yeah, there is no reason that you can't tell who's human and who's not, who's a founder and who's not. So that didn't right. work for me at all. I was like, no, you should have sent in a strike force. You could have they overwhelmed have them. Sent, they should have yeah. sent in a strike force. I mean, my understanding of the scene was Cisco coming out and talking opened the ship up to being beamed into, like the uh, Jim and R maybe have technology on their ships that prevents being beamed onto unless they allow it. And then him opening up the ship allowed the one guy, but it should have been one guy. You're right. It should have been a whole strike team. At least, um, you know, at least a five person team, one for one. Right. You right. know, exactly. Um, something along those lines. And kept, I also did because appreciate- Worf is already out of the ship. He's the most mm-hmm. dangerous one. All you got to do is hold Dax or O'Brien hostage, and suddenly you got the whole thing in your. You favor. got a whole new set of leverage there, right? Yeah. And, yeah, to say nothing of Enrique dying in the corner, if two Jemadar yeah. had beamed in and taken Dax and O'Brien hostage and been like, we'll give them back when you get out of our ship, Cisco would have right. given them the ship. He absolutely right. would have given them the ship. There's no yeah, reason for... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I thought like that was a little bit of a plot hole there. They should have exploited that um, a bit more. Um, yeah. I was doing some reading about some of the behind-the-scenes development of the episode, and there was something they talked about that I thought was very interesting that they didn't do, which would have made like the creep factor on this on this episode a little bit higher. There was the discussion of, you know, when we were first introduced to Kalani, she calls into the ship, and she tells Cisco how to activate the panel so that he can talk, they can talk or whatever. Right. There was a brief talk, a brief discussion behind the scenes of only doing her voice never actually having the actress appear 
on the screen so that their whole interaction would have just been this very pleasant but ruthless voice that he's trying to negotiate with. And, you know, with all the, you know, Enrique dying, it's hot, it's dirty inside, they're shelling the surrounding area, and the tension's being ratcheted, and you're hearing this voice just say over and over again, very sweetly, very pleasantly, um, if you do this, we'll let you go. Just right. trust me. All you yeah. got to do is trust me. I think that would have been a great little thing to have um, going throughout this episode, but they didn't do it. Um, yeah. You're Whatever. saying that reminds me of the Tom Cruise movie Oblivion, where that's actually kind of part of the plot, where he thinks the female, uh, the woman he's talking with, like there's a screen of this woman with a headset on he thinks he's talking to, but then the movie reveals that that's not real. He's talking to an alien presence that's using that uh, image and that voice uh, to communicate with him. And uh, you know, the climax is him confronting the entity that's been using that voice. Um, anyway, yeah, fun movie. Not the best movie ever, but a fun one. Um, hmm. but yeah. Well, I think that we've pretty much covered everything uh, about this episode. Um, we didn't really get into our B plot because there wasn't really much of a B plot. It was one it was, uh, quick scene. Yeah, just to kind of show us where everybody was. Them, yeah, yeah they, those actors deserve a paycheck, and they're not in this episode, and they're they're on the credits, so they got to have at least something. And that was four of our main cast. That's Odo, Bashir, Quark, and Kira. That was the only scene any of them appeared in for this entire episode. Which is and interesting considering else. that three of the four of them have to do makeup so, you know, some pretty, you know, Kira's got her nose ridges, Odo, yeah. full, you know, go Bashir's here. Bashir's like, call me from my trailer when I'm ready. When yeah. Ready, Bashir probably was so excited. He's like, probably pulled up, screech of tires. I got to be yeah. on the set in 20 minutes. How about you? Yeah. I've been here for nine hours just putting this on, you know. Another nine hours to take it off. Right. So, uh, yeah. I could just see that. He just he's just all strolling in, rested, refreshed. Uh, I woke up at eight thirty. I've been here since four. Like yeah, I could just all of that. Just for just for that scene. Just just to do that scene. So you know, it's probably one of those things because again, back then in the nineties when they were filming this stuff, they were doing, you know, crazy eighteen hour days of filming to do these episodes. I wouldn't be surprised at all if knowing that they were only gonna have this short scene, they probably filmed it at the end of the previous episodes um filming. Yeah. And then those guys were probably done for the day. Yeah, yeah. you were probably done for the day. You got to go home, and then you were off early, and you know, yeah. got to go and whatever. Where everybody else still had to stay on and work and right. do any, you know, reshoots, touch ups, so forth and so on. So yeah, probably what happened there. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I just love that that was the the kind of the joking part of it was that Quark had taken advantage of the well-meaning Bashir to smuggle in some aphrodisiacs. Because, of course, only Quark, only Quark yeah. would just, yeah, so. Yeah, you know, we've never actually seen Quark get punished, really, outside of Odo threatening and holding him by the ear. And, you know, Odo just always uses Quark to find the the suppliers, you know. You know, Quark is the connection to the, the bigger bads, so he'll just let Quark get away with things because he get, has bigger fish to fry. At some point, it'd be funny. To, yes, it'd be funny to see Quark up in front of some kind of judge, and uh, 
see like this long rap sheet that Odo's finally brought. <laughs> all the things Odo's had him for all this time. But all the things he's been watching. All yeah. the things he's been watching and waiting, and it's like, and finally, finally, time to get rid of this crooked, annoying <laughs> barkeep. Yeah. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for us tonight, um, which is, you know, just fine with me, you know. Uh, again, not an episode <laughs> that we can necessarily, you know, skip if you're trying to get the full story of the development oh, good, of the Dominion. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I mean, otherwise, if you're looking for just the kind of the action-packed whatever, but this is probably not it for you. But I would still say that you, it, it it's deserving of a rewatch, especially if you're a person who hasn't seen the show in quite a while. So yeah, go check that out. Um, and let us know what you think. You know, you can always leave us messages and stuff wherever it is that uh, you want to, you know, do that. We're on all the social medias, of course, and you can tune in and watch us live on YouTube. Um, when it comes to the show, of course, you can listen to it on uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. But uh, until we come back next week and do it all over again, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>